let's get into the Word of God this morning. First, chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8, and we're going to kind of break this up a little bit into three sections. So we're going to read a section, we're going to kind of get into it, break it down, then we'll read the next, same thing, and then the final one, and, and close out our time together this morning. But I want to kind of, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. I'm going to trust the wind doesn't pick up and, and blow things all over the place here. But there's a story I came across, and it kind of sets the tone for what we're going to talk about today, primarily. That in 2012, there was a gentleman by the name of, I think it's Merrick or Marek, however you say it. He lives in Poland, about 45 years old, dating a, a young lady by the name of Anna. Anna was a dentist. But Merrick, at, at one particular day, about eight, nine years ago, came to Anna and said, we're through. I'm leaving you because I found somebody else. You would think that would be the end of the story. Go their separate ways. But Anna happened to be Merrick's dentist. Merrick, not thinking anything was wrong, needed to go to the dentist. And so he went to his ex-girlfriend for a procedure. So her response to what he had told her, she used to her advantage in the career choice that she was in. So she gave him a heavy dose of gas, put him under, and proceeded to pluck out every single tooth the man had in his mouth. That's a response. That's a response. What she decided and how she decided to respond to what he told her is the action she took. Now, what she, the result of that decision, I don't know. Don't know if she lost her license or whatever else, had to shut her practice down. But Merrick is the one that kind of lost both ways, didn't he? He lost the trust of this woman and then also lost the trust of his new girlfriend who broke up with him because he didn't have any teeth in his mouth anymore. <laughs> but it's kind of a, now that's a real story. It's a true story, but a goofy one to say the least. It sets the tone for everything that we're going to talk about this morning is all about our response to other people and what they say or do to us on either side of the spectrum. Good or bad. Biblical, spiritual, or even evil. Thank you, John. What is our response? What is our first inclination of how we view people, what we say, or even what we think about the things that they do to us or say to us that may contradict what we believe? You follow me so far? So that's kind of at the heart of our passage this morning. It's a proper perspective on our active life of hope. Don't forget the, the context of 1 Peter, a hope-filled life. So that idea of hope fits into this because we know we live in an ungodly world. We live in that post-Christian world we talked about where there's going to be things said and done to you that are not going to be done from a nice perspective. And that's where therein lies our job to respond properly to the people closest to us or, albeit strangers. Because how we respond is going to determine whether or not you're living that hope-filled life with a proper biblical perspective on how we are to see and view and interact with anybody around us. So that's kind of what we're getting into today. So I, I still want to clarify that, remember that funnel we talked about? of hope and faith and submission and obedience. You know, we started out here about our life and then kind of broke it down to get a little more personal with our view of 
government and even more so when we talked about marriage a couple weeks ago. So we're still in that conversation because that's why Peter, if you read the first word, verse 8, he says what? Find. So he's still in that conversation, that funnel of our very direct purpose of our interaction and life with other people. But that's what we're talking about. We're still in that con- context of submission, honor, and respect for those we know, those we love, those we are closest to us, and even complete strangers. But let's start reading. Let's read the first section together. We're going to read verses 8 through 12, and then we'll break this down a little bit more. So 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8, says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So you would think in those few verses there, it it says a lot of what we should do or don't do. And it seems very simplistic if we would just be obedient to the word of God, right? Don't repay evil for evil. Don't don't revile when somebody reviles against you. Don't attack when you've been attacked. Simple. But I know what you're all thinking. No, it's not. (laughs) Because I'm human. That's not my first inclination, but that's exactly what we're talking about. So how do you typically, and I want you to, I'm going to ask you a couple questions I'm going to give you two seconds to think about it because I know you're going to get the answer that fast. You ready? Question one, how do you typically respond to those you don't agree with or that contradict what you believe either indirectly or directly to your face? I know you've got the answer. Question number two, the moment someone says something to you, albeit sarcastic, hurtful, abusive, etc., what's your immediate mindset and inclination prior to your response? I know you've got the answers because you know yourself. One, you know you're a human being. That there's something inborn in us that immediately causes us to respond in kind. Amen? We respond in kind. That's how we're built. It's how we operate. But I guarantee you, if you thought about an answer to those two questions, you're going to respond in one of two ways. One, you're going to respond evil for good. I want you to think about that. Somebody does something nice or pays you a compliment, but your first inclination is to attack and respond and be hurtful. You know, there's an adage that they say about people who have gone through things in their life, albeit emotional or physical or whatever else, that hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that before? Hurt people hurt people. If you've been hurt, then your first inclination is to do what? I'm going to hurt. I've been hurt, therefore you deserve to be hurt. I'm going to bring you down to my level of hurt because that's where I'm going to find some comfort. No matter what is said, especially if it's good, if you return evil for good, you know what level that is? That is a satanic, demonic level. When your inclination is to return evil and hurt to somebody else who's trying to do you good. Would you agree with that? That is an evil 
demonic response. That's what Satan does. Or probably 99.9% .9 of us sitting on this lawn right now are going to do option number two. We're going to respond in kind. We're going to return good for good, right? Which we'll get into a little bit later. Typical response. When somebody does good to you, what's your inclination? Do good to them. Pay it back a little bit or pay it forward, as they say. But what we're talking about right now is if somebody wrongs you, hurts you, is abusive to you, your inclination is to do what? Respond in kind. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. So you meet evil with evil, hurt with hurt, bad for bad. You know what level that is? That's the human level. Because that's who we are. That's our nature. That's what we're born with. That idea of responding in kind, evil for evil, good for good. That's the human way. If it's evil for evil, it's the sinful way. But isn't that our nature? We lack self-control. Don't shake your head or nod your head, but admit it. We lack self-control. That's who we are as raw human beings. Paul would speak to this in 2 Timothy 3.3, speaking of people in general, are heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Do you remember your BC days? Do you remember your before Christ days? Did, did you identify with any of those terms? Again, don't, don't call yourself out right now, but maybe collectively as a body of people, we could say, yes, amen, I, I remember those days. <laughs> but that's who, it's what man is, but God. What God brings to us is that renewal of life. It's why we are born again to a new life, a new mind, a new heart, to transform our life and our thinking and our ways so we don't fit into that box of humanity and sinful way anymore. That's what Christ does for us. That's what his word does for us. And that's why going back to verse 8, he says, Finally, all of you, speaking to the church, remember Peter is writing this to the Christians, saying, Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. If you live in those characteristics and qualities, are you going to return evil for evil? Not when you're humble. Not when you're loving. And as a church, not when we're, we have that unity of mind in so doing, holding, holding each other accountable to the way that we're acting and responding to the world around us. That's why the church exists in one respect. So how do we get to this point? You know, it says in verse 11 to do what? Do good. How do we get to that point where the first inclination, no matter what happens, to do good, to respond good and well? and biblical, and spiritual, like Christ would want us to do? How do we live out our calling and return good for evil? The third spiritual response of who we are to be in Christ. That no matter what is done, your inclination is going to be return good for evil. Think about that for a minute. I want that to settle into our hearts and minds. How do we get to the point where we can return good for evil? And what kind of witness will that have to the world around us? That when the world 
is hostile towards us, when the world is abusive towards us, when the world hates us as is promised in Scripture, when the world does this or that or says this or that, we can respond and our inclination is to go, God bless you. (laughs) Does that sound at all possible? If you say no, you're human. Because you're absolutely right, because nothing is impossible without God. But God in us allows that to be possible. To get to the point to be able to return good when evil is done. If that sounds impossible, then I want you to continue to pay attention. (laughs) Keep listening. God has something to say. We need to remember our calling. What did it say in verse 9? This is what God calls us to. This is what God calls us to. So let me remind us. We're going to jump ahead to 2 Peter. Don't turn there. But in 2 Peter, in the next book, chapter 1, Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. But what did it say at the beginning? Make every effort. To be able to return good for evil, is it that quick? Say no. We have to work at it, don't we? That when we're hurt, that we can look at that individual with love and a tender heart and return a blessing to them. But that takes effort. But that's what Peter is saying. Make every effort. Work at this. Make this a priority in our life and who we are to be because that is the point where we are going to be an absolute, perfect, beautiful testimony and witness to the love of Jesus Christ. But the moment we return evil for evil, or even evil for good, what happens to our testimony? What happens to our witness for Jesus? It goes away, doesn't it? It goes away. So this we have to think about. We have to make the effort. So within the church, this is how we are to be to one another. It says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So who are you surrounding yourself? As you work on this effort, as you work towards this idea of doing the good that God calls you to do, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the wise that you're going to walk with that will encourage you and and keep you accountable and, and bless you and lift you up and hold you to the word of God as it says? That's what this church is for. An aspect of it is to continue to come together in community for that purpose of accountability and encouragement in God's word. Amen? That's what we need to do. You may have heard the verse in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. You continue to surround yourself with the negative. What is that going to do to your heart as a human? It's going to corrupt you. It's going to break you down to the point that you will just fall into that box of returning evil for evil and good for good, the human, sinful, innate way. So make a conscious choice and understand who you're surrounding yourself with and only enter the circles of the other 
if you have the confidence to be that witness for Jesus Christ. See what I'm saying? This is what Peter's talking about. Paul would say in Romans 12, verses 9 through 13, let love be genuine. There's a word we need to grab onto. Any of us can act the part. Any of us can act the fool, so they speak. Wear that mask. You're going to walk into church, and we're going to hear the amens and the hallelujahs, and God bless you, brother, and, and, and praise God, sister. We can act a certain way when we're around certain people. But our love for each other, both in the church and out of the church, is to be genuine, part of who we are, embedded into our DNA that Christ does through his love for us. Paul goes on to say, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, make it a competition to honor somebody. One-upmanship. You ever have played that game? Oh, you did this for me? That was nice. Watch this. I'm going to come right back in and do more for you. And I'm going to do more for you. Make it a competition, but make sure it's genuine. You're not just living the quid pro quo life of I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing. Oh, you did good for me? I guess I have to return the favor, but I really don't want to. <laughs> it needs to be genuine. Paul says, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I say those again. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Which means what? Practice that self-control of not immediately responding based on what your heart tells you to respond with. But be patient. Step back. Take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ so you can respond spiritually, biblically, like Jesus would. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. That doesn't mean everyone just within the circle of comfort that you have in the church. Everyone is everyone. And should I say both offline and online includes everyone. If we're going to consider anything, let's consider the teachings of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, he goes through what's now known as the Beatitudes. And I just want to read these for you. I don't think they're in your, in your notes there in front of you. But I want you to hear what type of individual and the characteristic and quality of an individual that God is going to bless. Listen. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the humble. One more time. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who show mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who work for peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Jesus is saying God will bless you and hold you up if you can control your thoughts and your actions and how you respond and present yourself to the world around you despite what they say or hurl against you as a follower of Christ. We need to strive to get to that point. Strive for it. Make it a part of who we are. Can I remind us who's writing this letter? <laughs> Peter. 
Remember when we studied the book of Mark? We studied a lot about Peter, didn't we? Maybe Pastor Ray spoke a little bit about him last week. Maybe a little bit of prideful Peter that says, I'll get out of the boat and walk. Absolutely. And then what happened? He took his eyes off of Jesus. But think of a couple other stories about Peter. Remember how Peter would typically respond with raw emotion? What happened at the arrest of Jesus in the garden? He said, no way this is happening. He takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus looks at him and says, put your sword away. Peter responded, evil for evil. And what happened at the trial of Jesus? Peter would deny him three times when he was called out as a disciple of Christ, as one who knew Jesus. And he responded every time, each time, with increasing hostility and anger, didn't he? He was in that human, sinful way of responding in kind. But here now, Peter is writing how we need to be. Did Peter learn his lesson? Absolutely. Have we learned ours? Probably. We should, or we're working on it, or in time, God will put us in a position to test that, won't he? We need to make sure that we're adhering to God's word. In the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, But I say to you who hear, but I say to you who hear, Jesus said that often, for those who have ears to hear, pay attention. And he would go on to say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Guys, I'm not going to stand here and say it's that easy. Because 100% of you right back at me and say it is not easy. It doesn't come natural. But this is why we have to work at it. Make every effort to get to that point. In verses 10 through 12, Peter basically just cites Psalm 34. But that's the life we want to live, a life you love. Who doesn't want to live a life you love? Who doesn't want to see and have good days? There's simple instructions to follow, but we know the follow-through is a lot more difficult. A self-loathing attitude is something that comes attached to this life, doesn't it? We're selfish. We're experts at our pity parties. And that's what typically drives our response. But that other cliche phrase that's out there that we need to seek to have that attitude of finish it attitude of gratitude but we got to work towards that to have that attitude of gratitude no matter what and how we see life or what comes our way it's a conscious choice we make to have that attitude that reflects Jesus next section verses 13 through 17 now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So here now we take a quick look at that idea of, so what, how do you feel when somebody 
you know, you return good for good or somebody does good for you. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. It makes you happy. Provides you some joy. We get that response, right? Anybody ever, ever been on the receiving end of a Starbucks pay it forward situation? Anybody ever done that, have, had that happen to you or did you do it for somebody else? You guys know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're all more holy than I, you don't go to Starbucks, but I, I admit my fault. But in line, there's a thing called pay it forward at Starbucks where the car in front of you pays for your order. You ever happened to you? Happened once, twice? Okay, in 2000 and I think it was 14, there was an event at a Starbucks. I, can't, I don't know where it was, but that pay it forward took place for 11 straight hours. The car in front paid for the order behind. Then that car got up to the front and paid for the order behind them. 11 straight hours until one man said, enough of this. He purposefully shut it down because he thought people were being, felt obligated to do that and it wasn't genuine. So he made the conscious choice, this is done. After 457 cars, he said, enough of this love. But he made that point. He talked to the newspaper and said, I, was, I, was, I saw it happening and I, I heard it was going on and I specifically drove to that Starbucks to put an end to it. I'm like, what? <laughs> Maybe returning a little evil for the good that was being done. You see where his mindset was? But regardless, we move on. Let me remind us of when that persecution comes. And please, let's move beyond Starbucks too. Don't put persecution of somebody buying your Starbucks or not buying your Starbucks into light of scripture. That was just an example. But when persecution comes, when hurt comes, when hardships come, anxiety comes, or abuse comes, whatever it might be, let me remind us of what we read in chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I want to remind us of that verse because that is our constant or should be our constant perspective through every situation. The hope we have in Jesus and what Jesus is preparing for us when he returns. That should guide us. That should guide our thoughts. If the glory of God and your eternal hope is your focus in all things, what or who is there to fear? Nobody. It is this hope in which we must be prepared to speak. That's why he said, be prepared to give an answer or a defense for the hope that is in you. We need to be able to speak that, don't we? Because there's a lot of people in this world that'll do good. There's a lot of good, upstanding, moral people in this world. Can we agree with that? Do they know Jesus Christ? No. Are they good? Yeah. But we have to give a reason for why we're doing good, why we respond the way we do because of the hope that is within us. It is important to do good and to, to live our life for Jesus by our actions, but sometimes, church, it's necessary to open our mouth and speak to the hope of Jesus in our life. Otherwise, we're just a good moral person and we'll fit in with the rest of society. Now, I want to really quickly enlighten you to a pervasive thing that's happening primarily in the youth in our area, 
but it's also prevalent in the church as a whole. Bear with me on the term. I'm going to make it very clear. It's called moralistic therapeutic deism. How does that sit with you? But let's break it down. Moralistic. You're good moral people. You're going to do good because you want to do good. You want to be a nice person. But what is the therapeutic part? Because it makes you feel good by doing good. The only reason you're going to do good is because it makes you feel good. But what is the deism part? So you believe there is a God out there. You believe that there's a God that created this world, but then has just sat off to the side to let it happen. That's what deism is. That God does not engage in human affairs. So the choice that you make to be good as a moral person is because it makes you feel better. Can you see the problem with this philosophy? It's called idolatry. You're going to be good because it makes you feel good. Or you understand truly at the heart of who you really are, and so you need to counteract that by doing some good. Because you know the evil that lies within you. But it's for yourself. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's idolatry, and it's pervasive in the church. There was a study done on this, and it's pervasive in our youth. They are twisting the Christianity, twisting religion to fit their own way, that they don't need to be obedient to a God out there. They just need to be obedient to how they feel and what they need to do in life to make themselves feel a little bit better. And by that, they hold to these principles, that there is a God that exists who created and watches over life. But I just need to be good. That's it. I just need to be good. The goal of life is to simply be happy. Just be happy. So do whatever you want to do to be happy, but make sure it's for you and not necessarily in obedience to God's word. At the heart of this philosophy is that good people go to heaven. Have you heard that? I'm a good person. I'll go to heaven. No, (laughs) you won't. Because scripture is explicitly clear. There is none good. There is none good except God alone. You can be a good person and skip your way right into hell without Jesus Christ in your life. We don't do good because it's what we should do. I want you to hear me. We don't do good because that's what we should do. Now, it sounds like that should be the right answer, right? You do good because that's what you're supposed to do. No, because according to that philosophy, you do good because you should do that because you know at the inner part of your being, the opposite is you're just going to do evil. You're just going to live sinful. You're just going to live however you want. It's not to do good because you should do good. We do good because that's who we are supposed to be. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and are obedient to his word, his spirit lives in us. It's him that drives us to do good because we are disciples of him, emulating him, following him, doing what he is being like him not just trying to do the things that he did we're not trying to play copycat here you don't do good because you should do good you do good because that's exactly who you are and who god is making you to be exactly like himself you following me so we need to pursue the god we say lives in us because we're just a vessel 
and we let Him reign, Him rule, Him move to be like Christ in all that we do and say, especially in the response to the world around us. So let's finish this up. Verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Now, there's a lot of meat there. <laughs> but we're going to focus on one particular thing right now. All that says is that Peter is reminding us that the source of our hope, the source of doing good, the source of our confidence in this world was established at the cross. Our purpose, our example, our everything is Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross to remove those sinful ways from us. We don't have to live in them anymore. Just like in Noah's day, God declared that man was corrupt. Man was horrific, sinful, to the point of needing to destroy the earth. Except for a few. Because Noah was found righteous. Because he placed his faith in God. And in so doing, him and his wife and his three sons and their wives were saved. Because they believed in God, hear me church, they believed in God and by faith got onto that ark. Follow me now. As Noah was saved by passing on the floodwaters, as the Israelites were saved by crossing the Red Sea, so we are saved through the process of baptism. Hear me out. We're not saved by baptism. We are saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. But Peter makes a point to talk about baptism here as saving us. And we need to clarify what he's saying because a lot of people will say, oh, you're saved by baptism. I guess if I'm not baptized, I'm not saved. No, that's not what he's saying. By faith first, Noah was found righteous. Noah didn't build the ark, gather the animals, and then found favor in God's eyes and was saved by, by the water. He was saved by his faith in God and then obedience to do what God called him to do. How much faith did it take for all those Israelites and Moses to put one foot and step in to the parted sea? How scary that must have been, but it took faith to move forward and they were saved through the waters. You following me? And so what is Peter talking about here? By faith in God first, we then, by obedience, step into that baptismal to show and prove to the world around us of our inner salvation. That's what he is referring to here. But it's faith in God. And then we prove to the world around us by how we respond, by who we are, through the physical, visual aspect of our baptism. And that then holds us accountable, along with our church brothers and sisters, 
to be who God needs us to be in this ungodly, lost, broken world. That's who we're to be. Let me close with this. 1 John 2, 2. He, Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we commune and live in and with the world around us. In the hope that if we're being who we need to be, pursuing Jesus Christ, to live out those qualities and characteristics of who he is in us and through us, then because of his death and his ministry and salvation, others can find faith in Jesus Christ as well. What a responsibility we have to to continue pursuing the things of God. Keep our face in the word and be active and obedient to anything that he calls us to do. You see why maybe God led me to challenge you guys at the beginning to pursue his calling on your life? Find out what that is. And then what? Go. (laughs) Do it. Act on it. As your brothers and sisters are right behind you on either side, helping you along the way. That's what we're meant for, church. That's why I'm blessed weekly and soon to be more than that. That we can commune together, fellowship together, be in small group together of our community together set up church and tear down church and be here weekly together for that purpose to be jesus to a lost world amen amen let's pray